Welcome to Owning the Future of Healthcare, a podcast from Health Catalyst, your leading provider of data and analytics technology and services to healthcare organizations. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Owning the Future of Healthcare, a Health Catalyst podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Health Catalysts podcast. We love bringing you some healthcare industry live. And as we do so, make sure that you're heading to our website, healthcatalyst.com slash empower. Again, healthcatalyst.com slash empower to learn a little bit more about what we're going to be chatting about today and also just to get some more Health Catalyst content, including podcasts, videos, and more. Make sure you're also subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for that full catalog. So on today's episode of the podcast, we're continuing a conversation with Dr. Jason Jones. He's Chief Analytics and Data Science Officer at Health Catalyst. We're bringing him back on to explore the growing as well as the challenging aspects of integrating AI applications into healthcare. If you missed it, this is a part two of a broader conversation. We already had Dr. Jones on the podcast previously, so make sure to go check out that part one where we discuss some of the structural elements of bringing AI ethically into healthcare. This is, again, a part two. Uh, so what we're going to be doing here is continuing to break down AI in general. And as we've seen, AI is transforming operations, access to, and innovations in care. But in most cases, it's merely a tool to assist in a broader approach to patient-centric healthcare. And I think we're seeing that through this digitally transformed era. COVID obviously accelerated that for a lot of industries. And of course, healthcare was uh, first and foremost one of the ones that faced that disruption in some of the heaviest ways. And again, like we saw there, a lot of digital tools were, uh, you know, really given that immediate focused approach. If this tool is going to be brought into day-to-day use, how can it be used in the most productive way possible? And I think that brings people back to that. We need to make sure this is a tool with an active vision for use rather than just a catch-all sort of magic wand solution, right? So what I'd like to do now is with our conversation, offer more perspective on how to put that powerful tool to good ethical use. So again, here's our part two conversation. I'm pleased to be rejoined today by Dr. Jason Jones. He's Chief Analytics and Data Science Officer at Health Catalyst. Dr. Jason Jones, great to have you back on. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Daniel. Great to see you again. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Real pleasure getting to chat. Thank you so much for joining us. So just to give our audience a quick recap, we left off our last conversation talking about equitable AI use. We spoke mostly to the intersections between structural dynamics of various nations, health systems and AI system integration, and then laid out some strategies on how to achieve the macro and the micro influenced by a focused use of data at scale. So that's kind of where we left off the last conversation. What I want to do is get a quick overview of where you see AI finding a lot of use across just various aspects of care to pick the conversation back up. So first question, Dr. Jones, how are you seeing AI intersect with and assist with other digital transformations in healthcare? Because obviously AI isn't the only one that uh, you know has impacted healthcare at scale uh, and was also accelerated by COVID. So that includes things like the mass adoption and managing of EHR data or the normalization of 
telehealth at scale. Go ahead and intersect how you see AI, again, intersecting with and assisting some of those other digital transformations that are also carrying the industry. Sure. That's a great question, Daniel. So maybe telemedicine is a place to start because I think that that highlights how important it is that as human beings, we understand what it is that we're asking um, technology to do for us and also what we're willing to accept. So it's not as though with COVID, all of a sudden we invented telehealth care. That had been around for a long time. Um, it's just that human beings were now w more willing to accept it in our lives than we would have before. In fact, many of us might have preferred the telehealth option because we somehow all knew in the back of our minds before, yeah, I'm not really sure I want to sit in the doctor's office with all those sick people around me. That's probably a great place to go to get something I don't yet have. But not until COVID did we say, ah, now this is bad enough. I'm just going to call. Um, so in telehealth, for instance, there was some great work done almost a decade ago now. So, so like, just listen to this. You have a telehealth organization. It was called Virtual, I think based out of Minnesota. 98% satisfaction from patients. I mean, most physicians in their offices would be thrilled with anything approaching that. And most of us in our lives would just say, wow, 98% of customers agree this is an outstanding experience. And yet, the adoption was relatively low. We weren't ready, I think, on a broad scale. And I think there are parallels now with AI, especially as it has to do both with people considering how do we deploy these tools with greatest effect? And then also, how do we expand the role? So greater effect, you know, is are we really actually considering carefully what do we want this tool to do for us so that we even know are we doing more good than harm? And on the broader acceptance, that's a little bit more what we've seen on the telehealth side now, where people are saying, gosh, you know, before... I thought I could just intuitively understand as a leader how I needed to orient our organization or what success looked like. Maybe it would help me to have a computer help me out in some of these decisions or some aspects of these decisions. So I think those are the, those are some key points is considering our readiness to be able to formulate what it is that we would like, what would awesome be. And then our readiness to actually accept what we what we can receive. And I think that's been a big shift in AI. We've seen it play out, as you point out, in, in telehealth. And, of course, those two intersect even more directly. The poster child there is, you know, you have an uncomplicated urinary tract infection. Do you really want to have to get time off work and go all the way into the doc to get something that the doc already knows what she or he is going to prescribe for you? No, that's a great instance of using AI to help you understand that if you can answer a couple basic questions, we can probably get your prescription taken care uh, for you immediately with much less hassle, much less cost, much sooner relief, and everyone's happier with that. So telehealth is a great an analogy, and it's also where we've seen a great intersection point of what we can do in this space. So to follow up on that and bring in some of our conversation from uh, part one, do you have any specific measures to ensure uh, equitability or efficacy in some of these different intersecting use cases of uh, AI assisting with or being sort of a piece of a larger digitally transformed puzzle? 
for care organizations? And if so, what would uh, some of your advice be there, some of your measures you would pass along for uh, equitable and uh, use that has efficacy as a focus? Yeah. And actually, I'm glad that you brought up both because without careful consideration, they actually send us down different paths. So let's just take a measure. Um, maybe not everyone listening knows this, but health plans have these things called HEDIS measures that help people understand, you know, how well are they performing at helping patients manage diabetes or blood pressure or do cancer screening or something like that. And providers have similar types of measures. And if we focus only on the efficacy part, the truth is we're actually best off managing to the dominant population, right? Because if you have a 100 people that you're managing and you try to do a little bit for everyone in that 100-person population, you're going to have to find different solutions for different groups because we're different types of individuals. And if you want to move the measure as quickly as possible, to increase your efficacy, then you say, well, really, I should go for the 60 or 80% and call it good. So we, from an efficacy standpoint, we tend to be focused on the dominant population. When we bring equitable care into the equation, we're now explicitly saying to ourselves, you know, it's not okay to move the 60 or the 80% to exceptional experience and health and actually grow the gap to the other 20 to 40%. And so that's why it's really important to consider both objectives at the same time and figure out how can we achieve outstanding efficacy for each and every person we have the privilege to serve. So I'm glad that you mentioned both of those words because we really do need both. And if we only focused on the, the equitable part, then we might actually not deliver excellent uh, efficacy. And you might ask yourself, well, how could that happen? Well, the best way to optimize equity is actually to go to the lowest common denominator and you just drop the efficacy for the highest performing group to the lowest performing group and you say, hey, I've just, I've just achieved equity. That's not what we want either. So it's really important that we have both concepts there. Yeah. There's a lot of similar E words today in the conversation, so yeah. I, I understand the tongue twisters. No, but but no, I, I agree. You know, I think without equity as the coexisting metric with efficacy, I find it interesting that you mentioned that it would in some ways potentially increase that gap and create mm -hmm. less equity if it isn't a focused part and sort of a synergized vision of yeah. uh, growing this uh, type of care at scale and using technology intentionally with that. So I'm curious how you see AI uh, reinforcing and being a critical part of those systems moving forward and supporting that equity efficacy synergy. Uh, describe yeah. how you see AI being a part of that moving forward and why. Absolutely. So just imagine that you're a health plan or you're a provider and you have a hundred different measures of your performance. And that's, you might imagine, that's kind of hard to keep track of. Like, just imagine if you had a grocery list with a 100 things on it. <laughs> wow, I think I want something to help me manage that. And now we're only talking, talking about the efficacy part. How well am I doing on each of those hundred or hundreds of measures? Now you bring into that dimensions of, well, but now I want to be equitable across what? Across gender across age, across geography, across race and ethnicity, across primary spoken language, 
across, you know, pick your personal characteristic. There's not a human being on the planet that can keep track of all that and even know where, where are we doing well and where are we struggling? And that's a perfect place to say, Hey, you know what? Computers do really well at tracking a large number of measures across a large number of dimensions. So rather than just, you know, avoiding the computer making or exacerbating disparities in care, why don't we give the computer the job of monitoring this otherwise impossible set of measures and dimensions that we're trying to look at and have the computer tell us where do we have the greatest opportunity to improve? Where are we doing exceptionally well? And let's figure out how, learn from it, and then deploy that somewhere else. So that's a great example of where we take the strengths of what a computer does and apply those to the value systems that we have and find are important as human beings. That's a perfect example of the marriage of the two. Thank you for that context, Dr. Jones. Okay, so what I want to do now is take this conversation and uh, offer some strategies around how to actually integrate this AI, both in day-to-day -day ways as well as broad uh, sort of full vision ways. So though AI obviously has its uses. We've clarified that in the previous part, and we've rehammered that today. Getting it integrated effectively and at scale, those two, pose a challenge. So in your opinion, how do you facilitate the change management that is required for AI to be effective at the point of care or for the service entirely? Who would you say needs to be brought to the table to make for an effective integration? How do you strategize and map that out? Give us your lay of the land and why. I think the two biggest concepts are these. Know what you're trying to do and what awesome looks like so that you're actually on a path to trying to achieve it. And the second is trust. What we see routinely, I'll focus, we've talked a bit about what's the purpose already, so let me focus here a little bit more on the trust element. You know, imagine that if you had a medication in your medicine cabinet and you weren't really sure whether or not you would have side effects from taking it. What's the chance that you're going to take that medication, do you think? Pretty low. Yeah. So here's what we know about AI and predictive models. It's going to get the answer wrong. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. It's going to identify the wrong person who needs help and it's going to miss somebody who does need help. We know that's going to happen. What we need to do is to build a justified trust in the users that what we're working towards is that the first time, what we're working to avoid is the first time the model gets the answer wrong is not the last time that that model gets used. Instead, what we'd like to achieve is when the model gets the answer wrong, the human being looks at it and says, you know, could I have done better? Is this still helpful to me? And if the answer is yes, then we know we're doing well. And there's some really specific tools that we can use that are sort of beyond the scope of this, of this discussion and the time that we have. But there's some really specific tools that we can use to help people build that justified trust. And what's great about it is justified trust doesn't mean that we never make a mistake. That's, that's not the objective. The objective is, you know, just as, as you helped me at the beginning of this, if, if, if I trip over my words, you're going to help get me out of it. If the AI trips over its prediction, 
then the user is going to come in and help us actually improve their experience, improve the predictions, improve what they're giving us. And so then that's actually sometimes the greatest opportunities that we have to improve trust and therefore improve use are when there's an error that we can recover from gracefully and build that sense of trust in the users. And that's a critical and often missed opportunity. And that's a really important point. Uh, you know, on that note, because AI is a tool that will need both active use as well as active oversight. And again, emphasize this is a tool, right? It's not just a solution you integrate and it does the job for you. It really will need to be part of a broader plan uh, and part of a broader active strategy from healthcare professionals. What's some advice you would give for how to make sure that fluency of the solution is understood for all professionals that have a hand in it actively, engineers all the way up to leadership level, all the way to uh, physicians that are going to use it more casually day to day. Uh, basically, how do you remove broader barriers to the use of AI at scale for all needed mm -hmm. professionals? What advice would you give there? Yeah, I think there are a couple things. One is you have to really understand who is the user and what are they trying to do. And it's, as you pointed out, it's not always just one person. An engineer or an IT individual is going to have a different set of needs than, say, even an, a data scientist who, again, may have different needs than the staff who are going to be using this, whether they're at the CEO level, the physician level, or something else. Understand who is going to be using this and what are they looking for. Are you are you familiar with the sort of the why did you hire the milkshake analogy? If I am not good enough to have you not re-explain it for our audience, so feel free to okay. give us the analogy. So there's a great, uh, I think it came from Clayton Christensen originally talking about, you know, why would somebody, what's the job that you hire a milkshake to do? And the people who create milkshakes often have a very different expectation of why somebody would buy one. And so he goes through this long example, which I'll really paraphrase briefly. But what they learned, believe it or not, is that the, in some places, people showed up to buy milkshakes at 8 o'clock in the morning. How many people do you know who like crave a milkshake at 8 o'clock in the morning fairly routinely? I mean, not very many. Definitely not me. So, yeah, yeah the the I, I do remember this insight, though, and that is engaging uh, because it's not expected at all and is definitely yeah. not how casual marketing of something like a milkshake is given to yeah. the end user, uh, nor I think it's just like common knowledge within the industry. So where do you see yeah. that connecting with with healthcare tools? Perfect. So the, the answer to that question was people wanted it at 8 in the morning so that they had something to occupy them on their drive to work, which meant that it had to have a certain thickness and not spill and things like that. And that's what they need. And then there was a different type of a user. I think it was, you know, a parent who brings their kid in on the weekend who needs it to, la needs it to serve a different role. When we look at AI, we're really careful to consider who's the user and what are, what's the job that they actually want this tool to do for them. So I'll give you an example. On the leader side, the job that they're trying to do is help me separate signal from noise. There's too much data out there. Help me figure out what I need to actually focus upon and help me adopt a future orientation. Let me understand not just where we've been, but where we're going. 
And so we build tools for them to address those specific needs. When we put those tools in the hands of the people, the analysts who typically de develop their content and their reports, their greatest fear is that they're going to be called on the carpet for making a mistake or asked to deploy something that they don't necessarily understand. So what they don't want to have happen is for someone to show up and say, hey, help me develop a forecast, for instance, which is technically difficult. <laughs> help me develop a forecast, the leader asked them, so that I can have this future orientation. And then the analyst is like, uh, I don't know how to do that. I'm a report builder. I don't have the machine learning or forecasting training to be able to do that for you. So now I don't feel so good. So we actually develop products to serve both of those needs. When we go to build something, we will give you a product that will give you an accurate forecast, but we're going to do it in such a way that doesn't require the analyst responsible for developing that report to have a deep understanding of forecasting techniques, because we don't need to anymore. Computers have gotten really, really good. What we need to do for that developer is to give them a tool with, with their own eyes they can quickly recognize whether they've made good or bad decisions without having to understand how it works. Imagine if you broke your arm and you went into the emergency department or you thought you broke your arm. You'd expect that an x-ray would be used to figure out, did you really break your arm? Where is it? How bad is it? How are we going to set it? And things like that. But you wouldn't expect either the physician or the x-ray technician to understand the inner workings of how x-ray works, right? That would be insane. What we've been working on is how can we achieve that same type of experience where the physician can get the result of the x-ray, we can look at it together and say, yeah, I understand. I see where there's this hairline fracture. I know what we need to do next. And the x-ray te technician can actually do that x-ray with you, but not have to go back through the physics of how the x-rays work because there's almost nobody on the planet who can do that. So again, it's understanding clearly the different user, in that case, the physician, for instance, versus the x-ray technician, and how do you meet each of their needs? We go through that same process with our users when we're developing AI. Yeah, and to your point, fluency doesn't mean getting everyone on the same page. Right. I think the same page really means getting everyone fluent with the tool in the way that will allow them to maximize it how they need to then benefit yeah. the patient. And again, keeping yeah. the patient experience and patient need as the core metric and the core vision for how you integrate these tools, I think helps navigate that sort of difficulty of, well, what does fluency mean? What does being on the same page mean? What does getting everyone that needs to be at the table, at the table to understand this actually mean in practice? I think putting that patient at the center of it is a very focused and straightforward and basic way to achieve that. Would you agree, disagree, or expand on that in any way? I'm thrilled you brought that up, Daniel. You know, we often talk about healthcare as being a team sport. So when we bring people to the table, it's not because they're individual and replaceable widgets. It's because they each have a unique role to play. And the patient and other caregivers are absolutely at that table for many decisions. And we absolutely need to figure out how it is that we bring the best of each human being to be able to contribute the utmost from their experience, their perspective, their knowledge, their expertise. And that is absolutely how AI can help. Only if, to your point, we understand the, the central importance, for instance, in this case of the patient, 
and how it is that their role is going to fit with the other members in the team that ultimately are absolutely right, are to deliver increased health and a wonderful experience to each person who's involved. That's a wonderful way to think about it. I'm glad you brought that up. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got one main question left for you, Dr. Jones. I want to look ahead now a little bit. Um, I'm going to point out some research from research and markets. They do a lot of sort of broad analysis. They're signaling that the U.S. AI in healthcare, so specifically the United States use of AI in healthcare, that market is poised to grow from 4.2 billion to 27.2 billion by the end of 2025. So over the course of the next four to five years, we're going to see massive growth in this market. How accurate does that sound to you? Do you think that that's Mm -hmm. a reasonable assessment? What's your take on that? Uh, You know, it's an interesting one. If we had a measure of use as opposed to cost, I absolutely hope that we see that happen, that we figure out how it is to optimize the use and expand the use of AI in health and healthcare. What I'm less sure about is how the price will go with that. You know, in other areas of technology, what we've seen is that the use can go through the roof, but actually the price doesn't necessarily keep pace. And personally, I'm a little bit torn on that. For myself, I always go back to the Institute for Healthcare Improvements, triple or now quadruple aim for healthcare. And those are to, to achieve uh, population health, and I'll leave out the last one here, what's usually the second I'll leave for last, with a wonderful patient experience, to your point, in a way that supports providers so that they can have a work-life balance that's reasonable, and we've certainly seen that get strained over the last uh, 12 to 18 months. And the last part is at an affordable cost. And so I'm always a little bit torn about how to bring the cost piece into it or the price piece into it. So I hope that the use goes up. I will be a little bit surprised if the price keeps pace. But, you know, the the, the experts that you mentioned have probably looked at this really carefully and taken that into account. So I'll go along with it. Um, but I just want to make sure that we don't lose track of that, of that aspect that we need to deliver excellent health, excellent experience, and people need to be able to afford and, ac- and access these things. So let's not leave people behind by jacking up the cost for everybody. You know, and I think just as a reminder, take those numbers with a grain of salt, because as we've seen, Predictions can get thrown out the window in a matter of a year with something like a global <laughs> pandemic, right? So, so uh, you know, those kinds of large four to five year predictions, I think, are good to frame how we see active use. But again, yeah. those things might change. And in two to three years, we might be engaging with AI as a tool in healthcare in very different ways, which will change outlook. So... Again, all with a grain of salt, but let's say something like this happens, or even a a tamer version of this kind of growth over the next four to five years. As the market hypothetically grows, how Mm. would you see that growth shaping the solutions and applications around AI in healthcare? Do you think they're going to be intrinsically linked, or should we just see that growth as consequential to however we choose to engage with AI today and let that sort of be second fiddle? What do you think? I I would very much like to see us use AI purposefully 
let's figure out what the problems are that we're trying to solve. And truthfully, Daniel, I've, I've not seen that historically. Um, I've seen a, let's just throw AI at a problem and we'll hope for the best. And that has not proven to be effective. So I'm hoping that this is one of the pivot points where we can be much more thoughtful in using the tools, as, as you as you phrased it, using the tools very, very purposefully because we understand what we're trying to achieve and we understand what success looks like along the way. So that's a shift that I think that we need to make. I'm starting to see some signals from some of the um, researchers that you've mentioned indicating that we need to make a more purposeful shift, and I hope we all live up to that expectation. Uh, it will end much better if we have a purposeful use of the tools that now we're blessed to be able to use. All right, Dr. Jason Jones, we're pushing up right to the end of our live broadcast. So thank you so much for your part two insights here on this broader conversation on AI use, ethics, dynamics, and intersections with various different aspects of the care industry. I think the future is very bright for AI as a tool in healthcare. And I think with a lot of the advice you've given, we can lay out a better roadmap for how to achieve that at scale with efficacy and with equity as well. So again, thank you to Dr. Jason Jones, Chief Analytics and Data Science Officer at Health Catalyst. Dr. Jones, it's been a pleasure. Likewise, Daniel. Thank you so much. Wonderful to see you again. Agreed. And thank you, everyone, for watching this live Health Catalyst broadcast and another episode of Owning the Future of Healthcare. If you like what you heard and saw and want some more, make sure you're heading to our website, healthcatalyst.com slash empower. Again, healthcatalyst.com slash empower for more information on everything we broke down and some more Health Catalyst content. Make sure you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Owning the Future of Healthcare.